Welcome to the StoryCraft Cafe. Come in, grab a cup of your favorite beverage, and get ready to join the storytelling conversation. StoryCraft Cafe is brought to you by Dabble, the ultimate cloud-based fiction writing software. Here we're going to bring together storytellers from all walks to encourage and empower you to craft your best story. Thanks for joining us today in the StoryCraft Cafe. We've got an amazing show for you. Our guest is Nisha Tooley, and if you read Dabble U, uh, you are familiar with Nisha. She has written quite a number of articles there and is a fellow dabbler, and we love her so much. And she talks with us today about taking your writing hobby and turning it into a career and we talk about indie publishing versus traditional publishing and how uh, today's savvy author has a foot in each camp and uses each of those uh, to benefit her or, or him uh, in their writing we had a bit of an audio issue in this episode my mic did not pick up correctly and but nisha sounds perfectly fine so please forgive uh the sound quality issues i promise next episode it'll be back to normal thanks as always and on to our episode craft cafe uh i am your host hank garner as always and today Super excited to have Nisha Tooley on the show with me to talk about all kinds of stuff. Um, but Nisha, you know, the when when I create these uh, live streams, it, it makes me give it a title. And I was thinking, what what am I going to call this? And I said, you know, um, taking your your hobby to a career. And <laughs> I thought that would be a great place to start anyway, um, because. Um, you have been a writer for quite a while and pursuing publication. You have a series that is self-pubbed and also pursuing traditional uh, publishing. And you've got lots of news going on. So first off, welcome to the show. Thank you Thank for you. joining today. And um, let's start with a fun question. Just to okay. get things going. <laughs> um, what is your first memory of wanting to be a writer or storyteller? Ooh. You know, it's not like one of those things that I like grew up being like, I want to be a writer like so many people are. And I always loved books. I always loved reading. But like I was grew up in a house where you you became a doctor or a lawyer or an engineer. Like those were the acceptable careers. And I went, finished high school and I went to engineering school. That's what I did in university. (laughs) And I, I don't know, I was in a, I had take, I decided like I I had moved to a new city. I didn't know anybody. Yeah. And I was like looking for stuff to do. And I was like, I'm going to take a creative writing class. What the hell? And I then learned about like this pro- two year program at this nearby college that like focused on writing and in journalism and all that kind of stuff. And I was yeah. like, maybe I kind of want to do that. <laughs> so <laughs> I applied and then like I got in and that was sort of when I was like, OK, I guess I'm going to be a writer now. <laughs> <laughs> but it was like, but it was more like at that time, it was more just like journalism. I worked for some magazines. I worked for some newspapers, that kind of thing. Like I do. And then the idea of writing a book and was always in the back of my head, but like, I just didn't know if I 
knew how to do that. I um, There's been lots of talk about the whole right brain, left brain dichotomy. And I, I don't know that I fully embrace or endorse that, that there, that there are strict divisions of, you know, there are certain people that are right brain, left brain, whatever. Um, but I do think that there, there's, there's something to it at least where, you know, the, the analytical side and some people very much, um, you know, tend to lean that way. And some people are more creative and, you know, and I don't know where I fall there, but, um, do, do you, um, you know, someone that went to engineering school and, you know, comes from a family who very much uh, put value on, on those types of pursuits. Um, how, how do you feel about that? The creative side, as opposed to the more analytical, the, the science, um, you know, of it all. I feel like I might fall like right in the middle, like, because yeah. <laughs> like, I remember being in creative communications, which was the program I mentioned, like, and everyone would joke about how nobody could do math. And I was like, well, I can actually do math. That's not actually like, <laughs> and yeah, I think like for me it, and having that analytical side helps me with the creative side. Like it lets yeah. me be organized and especially with like self-pubbing and having to keep on top of like the thousand and one things you have oh, yeah. to do when you're an indie, indie author. Like, I think all of that helps keep me organized and like, you need to look at data and numbers and right. money and all that kind of stuff. So I think like that really gives me a bit of a leg up over like the people who just want to create, which like I get, you just want to write, but I actually really enjoy all the other parts of it too. And the, the, the stuff you do need to analyze. So yeah, I think maybe I, I got lucky and I enjoy both sides and have a bit of both brains going. Well, speaking of, of that, you know, um, the, the Kindle revolution, 12 thir or about a dozen years ago I, I, I don't know exactly when all that happened and that really kind of kicked off the indie publishing revolution and you know we talk a lot about the gatekeepers of traditional publishing and indie publishing allowed um you know people to to bypass those and to get their stories out and so many amazing stories of of people that that have found an audience and, you know, all of that great stuff. There, there's, you know, we talk a lot about it. Mm -hmm. um, but uh, I do think that we tend to kind of dismiss traditional publishing because we do now have these other opportunities. And sometimes you can go too far the other way and you, you're forgetting this whole segment of publishing and, and of book culture and, you know, it's, it's kind of, we actually find ourselves in an interesting place now where indie publishing has matured and it's very much a, a viable opportunity for people, but it also comes with a lot of headaches and a lot of the, the things that people were griping about uh, traditional publishing have kind of seeped over to, to indie pub. Now there's, you know, it, it's, it's harder and harder to get yourself noticed. It's, you know, there's lots and lots of competition and you, you, you kind of quietly wish for some gatekeepers to help, you know, <laughs> sort things out in the, in the world. Yeah. Um, where do you find yourself? Because I, you do have a series that you're indie pubbing, pubbing um, but you also have two series that you're now publishing with traditional publishers. Yeah. Do I have yeah. that right? 
Yeah, you do have that right. Um, yeah, so I guess when I first started, like, so I'm like one of those annoying people who decided to write a book during COVID. It was the su oh, yeah. first summer. And I was like, you know what? I'm not getting any younger. I keep thinking about this. I finally had time. Like I have two young kids. Suddenly all the like, my husband travels a lot. Like suddenly he was home. They didn't not, we didn't have activities every night. I wasn't in the office every day. Um, so I started writing a book and I like, the first thing I, I didn't, really consider indie publishing i really hadn't read many indie books at that point i didn't really know much about it i just like knew what was at the bookstore and that's what yeah. i wanted so i set out to be, be traditionally published and i queried for an agent that after i finished that book that fall and i signed with someone in the early in winter in the early 2021 like in january and went out on submission and all that jazz and stuff but like it was taking forever. And then like the more I started like exploring things the more, I was like, kind of, I wanted to write fantasy romance, which like did not feel like a genre that in traditional publishing was interested in at that moment, they were not buying books like that. And I was like, well, I'm pretty fast. Like, and as I was writing, I just kept writing more and more books. And suddenly I had like seven unpublished books and I was like, well, what am I going to do with all So, um, that's when I decided to to like throw it out there and be like, well, maybe I'll try indie publishing too. Like with the, you know, knowledge that like I had a little bit of money I could spend on nice covers and like all, right. all the things that you need to be successful at indie publishing. And then, um, yeah, so now it's sort of like become two sides of the coin. I mean, the one pub deal I got was because someone had read one of my indie books, an editor, and he liked it and he reproached me and was like, hey, what are you working on? We're starting this new imprint. Are you interested in working with us? So like one has begot the other. And even with my self-pub series, I've now gotten lots of interest from like foreign publishers who want to do translations and stuff, which is sort of like now marrying the two because like there's no reason for me not to sell a book in Spanish because I don't sell very many, right? Like most of my audience is in the US. So like there's no reason... Right. Why not? Why not translate it and like try to expand that audience, right? So that's sort of, I'm sort of in the middle of all that right now. Wow. Uh, you know, it's, um, there are maybe more hurdles to, to getting your books out there, but there are also more tools. Um, yeah, that are available yeah. and I think author. like the perception of indie has changed so much even just right. in the last two years and like now trad pump wants romanticy now they're all over it two years later they are all jonesing for it so Isn't sometimes you just got to wait for your moment right <laughs> like you just you write what you, what you like and to market as much as you can but like sometimes you just have to wait for your moment to come and now they're all interested so like it's, right it's well, um speaking of those tools that are available to to everyone now but writers are uh, especially taking advantage of them one of those is tiktok and you had um you really found an audience on tiktok um yeah yeah what was i i mean walk, walk through that a little bit because uh, some people are like tiktok books TikTok. What, I thought that was no videos, I said, tiktok you know? i'm gonna go on tiktok i'm like i'm too old for tiktok <laughs> <laughs> like, yeah i don't know then i was starting to like I was starting to gear up to be like, okay, I'm going to indie publish. And actually the first thing I published was a novella. Cause I was just like, I had written this short little novella. I was going to use it as a newsletter um, magnet to start. I, I worked in marketing for a long time too. So like, I know all these like other things to do, like to try and help. So right. I was going to use it for newsletter. I made a video on TikTok that went viral and like just exploded. And that just like set me off. I ended up getting like 
8,000 newsletter subscribers and like it was a oh, couple wow. of weeks it was a couple of weeks before I was going to publish it so I ended up like I ended up throwing it up on Amazon because like people were like I, I wanted to try and capitalize on it and that like people were buying it and that really worked out and I mean that long tail on that I mean that was over a year ago people still buy that book very like regularly and I still get newsletter signups for wow. that um, so like it really does and I mean obviously I kept posting more things and stuff like that and had a few yeah. more that did well and then um, recently um, one that like a book talker was the one who like her video went viral about my book and I mean like that's even more the end game really right like I mean that's why Colleen Hoover is so popular because right. everyone's talking about her like talking about her books not her yeah. talking about them which has always been my goal is to try and get the books into the right hands and with the hope that someone is going to fall in love enough and their video is going to go viral and then so like that actually happened in March and that really oh boy did that really change things <laughs> have, have you always been a fan of fantasy yeah I've always been a big fantasy fan yeah absolutely and it was when I like actually when I first started really digging into fantasy romance that when I was like, oh, this is what I've been looking for. like because you know I read literary stuff and I'm like I'm not smart enough to write literary stuff like this. <laughs> and then I started reading fantasy romance so like oh this is what moves me like this was the moment where I was like oh now I get what I want to write like and that was just the catalyst to just be like sit down and start. Yeah, uh, for so long fantasy was very uh, Eurocentric. Um, you know, uh, fantasy, if you told someone I'm, I'm reading or writing a fantasy novel, the assumption was, okay, this is like 12th century England, um, inspired or whatever. <laughs> right. And, and the last few years, um, especially, and I think this has always been the case, um, that there are, um, fantasy books and series that are inspired by other cultures. And I know that, that I heard you say one time that, um, that writing the type of fantasy that you do, and please correct me if, if I'm misquoting you, um, that that it helped you to connect with your heritage uh, in a way that, um, anyway, did, 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 yeah, did I get yeah. that right? Did, did, you did. Did you so like the, the series that is coming out in September is fantasy romance, but it's not Eurocentric. It's based on um, South Asian world building and myths and lore and that kind of thing. And that was like the that was the first book I wrote originally um, back in 2020, and it's gone through a huge overhaul since. Because when I went after the publisher bought it, I went back to read it, and I was like, "Whoa, man, this sure was my first book." <laughs> <laughs> sure learned a few things, which is good. I mean, that's good, right? The goal is to get better as you keep doing things. So, right, right. So I basically like rewrote the whole thing from top to bottom. But um, yeah, so that was for me. That was really fun. It was sort of like exploring the. Like I grew up in Canada, so like I don't have a strong connection to my culture. I'm I'm biracial, so like it's just my dad's side. So like there's always been that little bit of missing piece. So it was really fun to be able to explore some of these stories and and just weave them in and sort of make them my own. Um, so that like that series will have sort of that same thing that everyone loves about fantasy romance, but from like a, on a completely different like aesthetic to it, which is kind of fun. And then even in my other series, like it's 
got the more Eurocentric world building, but like the main character is brown. Like instead of the same blonde girl you find in every one of these series, right? Like right. it's just right. And like the way that people have responded to that has been really fantastic. Like, especially like other brown girls who are like, wow, I've like never get to see this. Like usually it's just like side characters who are and I'm like, yeah, no, like it's like really cool to be able to just because I can't because yeah. I can, it's fantasy and it can be whatever it wants to be. Well, and, and that's the great thing about fantasy is yeah. that, um, yeah, most of the fantasy that we're familiar with echoes the real world in, in I, I guess, in ways that, that help you connect with stories and characters. Um, but uh, just because it's always been done that way. Right. Th yeah, and I remember I had a beta reader be like, well, where is she from? You keep mentioning that she's, and I'm like, well, she's from this made up place that's in the book just like it's all the other real. people like what do you mean where is she from like it's just a bit of a mind shift for some people yeah that's, <laughs> that's from the same place all these other people are like right know. right so um but because it is fantasy it's a made-up world right. but but it's influenced flavored by real places real cultures yeah um how do you um how do you mine the 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 um the myths and and some of the stories that that then could help you build your world your characters your magic systems even i'm very um like pick and choose what i like like i yeah. i don't believe in the anachronism of like this couldn't have existed then i'm like then what like this does, didn't ever exist right, right. Like, they don't if i can have dragons and magic then they can have running showers also right like there's sort of right <laughs> Right. Like, well, it's funny to me how sometimes that seems to be people's like well they wouldn't have that like why not though like he, he wrote a dragon here like why is that more believable than like so yeah even with like the heart of night and fire which is the south asian one like i make a point of putting a note at the front just because i already anticipate what people are going to say that like i borrowed from different cultures and different time periods and like because to suit the plot basically like i like to pick things that like I don't world build beforehand. I'm a total pantser. I will write the story and then I will build the world to suit the plot in what way, whatever way I need it to, to work for me. I, I love that idea. The, build the world to suit the plot. That's <laughs> I, as a, um, as a, a pantser who, um, who is not necessarily uh, worried in the beginning about the world building does do, do those things go hand in hand? You know, most fantasy authors will spend months and months world building and, and you know, writing out these long treatises of, you know, politics and, and religion and, and all of this that may never find its way into the book, but it, it helps set that yeah. world in their mind. Um, you know, I, I don't have the patience. Way. I don't have the patience for that. Like, to me, I don't care about the plumbing system or the political like unless it's important to the story i right. probably am not going to worry too much about it like this is why i don't write historical anything because i don't want to do the research like i'm way too lazy to do that <laughs> i don't want to get it wrong but yeah like to me my like for me world building is not the point like i prefer like to focus on the characters and the relationships like the world building is the backdrop versus you know like some fantasy yeah where you're reading like tolkien where he obviously spent like millions of which we all know spent tons of hours forming his world right i think that my stuff's more like about the characters and the and the the, the world building is fun and that kind of thing but that is it's just created to suit what i needed to suit instead of like knowing 
if someone were to ask me something very in depth, I probably would have to make it up on the spot. I don't know. <laughs> or I'd be like, I don't know. I don't know. Yeah. I'll think about it. It is what it is. Yeah. And I right. and I've noticed too, like, and I think that's one thing with fantasy romance. I feel like that's a, how it differs a little bit from the more traditional strain of fantasy is that there is a bit I mean it depends some of them in some cases not so much but um I do know that some people are like it's not enough world building for me I'm like well you're never going to get super super so maybe I'm not the writer for you then <laughs> like, I don't know what to right. tell you yeah right <laughs> so what what are the the differentiations differentiations between traditional fantasy and fantasy romance uh, other than the obvious um is it more relationship based as as opposed to where a traditional fantasy might be more anchored in the world building or the magic system is yeah is I mean, fantasy romance focus more on the relationships i mean a little bit i i think in my case it does like i think i mean i don't know if that's fair either i mean there's still romance and regular fantasy and stuff sure too, but um good fantasy anyway yeah i mean it's you know should be a romance in, in, in all good fiction, it, it seems like, because that's real life. <laughs> it is. I mean, I don't disagree with that, but not everyone yeah. might agree with that. Um, I mean, I guess because, like, in fantasy romance, the central relationship is a huge part of the plot, right? Like, if you right. took that out, there would be no story left versus, like, I think in traditional, if you took that out, then you could still hang it on like there and then it differs from more traditional romance in that there is still a huge still a big plot going on so it's not exactly the same as like more genre romance in that sense where it's really just focused on the couple so it sort of seems to like straddle the line like in the rom-com that you mentioned like it's it's about them right like there's a bit of a b plot but it's mostly about them right so yeah. it's a bit different in that regard so we have the series that you're indie publishing and then that led to uh, a traditional publisher wanting you to write a series for them um when when does that series come out so that's the one the indian one so that will Correct. become the first book comes out in september mid-september and um, the second one in february i think yeah and then there will be four books in that series and they'll be done by the end of 24. they're actually a fast publisher so it's kind of nice in that regard because they focus a lot on digital. Um, so they move a little quicker than some of the other BMOFs that, that my romance, my rom-com publisher, that is, yeah, the book's not coming out till 2025, even though I got the offer in 2022. <laughs> Whatever, it's fine. I've got a lot going on. I need. I did not need to be worried about another book right at this moment anyways. <laughs> so what are some of the... Um, what what are some of the truisms, things that, that maybe you had assumed about uh traditional publishing and then when you got into a uh a contract situation they're absolutely true um but uh, the contrast what are some things that are um assumptions that people make that now that you're on the inside you go oh that's not how that works at all <laughs> oh man how long have you got like <laughs> <laughs> as long as you need me. i mean i feel like a people think you're like instantly rich if you like are publishing right. a book, right? Like, which, like we're not all Stephen King, unfortunately. Maybe one day, but not yet. Um, mm -hmm. I think like for me, the big thing is like understanding that the publishing industry is like 
really kind of corrupt. I mean, like it's like any industry. It's not about love of books. It's about money. It's about making right. business. It's about like, yes, the people who work within it, like the editors and the agents and the writers love books. But ultimately, yeah. at the end of the day, you can have the best book in the world. But if you don't get that book in front of the right person at the right moment, when someone feels that they can make money off of it, it is never going to hit the shelf, right? Like sure. that it's, and it's, there's, there's a huge element of luck there. I mean, it's not always the best books that are chosen. It's about sometimes the per person, you know, or the person, you know, and it just being in the right place at the right time. And sure. you can only control so much of it. Like you can write the best book you ever, you want, but um, a lot of it's out of your control. Like even working with an agent, like I find really hard because like I have this like, person in between me and the goal and like I, I have to because you can't just like submit your book to a big five publisher but like as a total control freak it's just like like I want to know every single thing that's said and things so like it's you have to like give give over some of yourself and in and, and that's a case like a lot like you have to give over some of yourself to the agent you're putting trust in that person to represent your career in the best way possible I'm now on my second agent because I things didn't work out with my first, which is totally normal. Like I'm right. from whatever, like people go through three, four, sometimes like lots of them before they find a the right fit. And then even once you sign with the publisher, you're still putting faith in that, like that editor and that publisher that they're going to now market your book and try and sell your book. And which you hear a lot of horror stories there. Like there's, there's just a lot of faith you're putting into a, a system. That's like, you're just one tiny cog in the wheel. That's for sure. So are there things that you've discovered that are better than I mean, or, or, or different in, in like, oh, that's a total misconception that people just don't realize? Or, or let me ask this, has, has signing with a traditional publisher, has that opened doors for you that, that maybe indie authors <clears throat> don't appreciate? Like, like the, the role of traditional publishing and what they can do yeah for getting your name out there opening doors um yeah i mean i just feel like that's more of a thing than we want to admit that it is yeah i think there's an instant um credibility that comes with it whether we like it or not i mean right. anyone can self-publish a book no matter what right so it's and like even i struggle with this internally like knowing like I know I, I wrote a book that people like. I self-published it. People are enjoying it. Like, is that not enough? Like, no, I also want the, like, I do. I admit it. Like, I want the, like, validation that comes from a big publisher being like, yeah, your book is good and we're going to publish it, right? Like, and seeing it on a, in books. And that's a, there's a big conception, misconception that, like, the minute that if you publish a book that it's going to be in bookstores. Like, that is something that most people do not understand, that that is not how it works. Like, and that yeah. was big. That was an eye-opener, too. Like, and but there's a lot of different types of publishers um, where that, yeah, they're just, they're not going to be at front and center in Barnes and Noble. And that's only a fraction of books where that happens, right? Like that's not, not the, the thing. So I think ultimately it's a bit early days for me to say for sure, like if it's open doors, but um, I can see where that like people take you more seriously, whether that's right or not. Yeah. I definitely feel like there's an element of that. Well, and, and thank God that we live in a time where um, you have all of the options available to you. Um, traditional yeah. publishing and what they can provide and indie publishing and what that can provide. And, 
and really we're living in a in a time where the author holds the power again where you know yeah you, sometimes you, yeah, yeah you know <laughs> but in a lot of ways you you are uh in control of your destiny or more in control of your destiny because you can do the the marketing things that right. uh, you know which the, has the, sort the, of been my mantra for the last like i can't control if a publisher buys my book but i can control me going on publishing on my own right and sort of like using that to like a not feel like i'm sitting still mm-hmm. and sort of exploring like because my goal from the be- from like almost the beginning was to be like i want this to be my full-time job like that that was my goal um i did that a few weeks ago as you know <laughs> <laughs> um really since like last summer other than like the, the bit that i was still working with with you guys with so the only thing i had left going on and the rest was all writing so um i i like i feel like i'm living a dream right now like i make my own hours i mean i work more than i have ever worked in my life but it is all on my own terms and it is all to build something for me right so it's completely different than um any other job or anything I've ever done. So you're you're self-publishing a series of romantic fantasy, and you sign a contract to write and publish a new romantic fantasy series, and then you sign a contract to write a workplace rom-com. How did that come about? <laughs> so so I like- and and I'll, I'll quantify that by saying that you hear advice from from people in publishing all the time that said, once you find your audience, stay with that. Do not deviate. And then, then you know, I mean, I think like about? romance readers are romance readers. Like I think the line across different subgenres of romance isn't too hard for people to breach. So I think like in that regard, it's not too big a deviation, even though it feels like it. I don't know. When my first book was on Sub Forever, I started like, I'm like, I'm going to write a rom-com because I had been reading a bunch of rom-coms that I liked. And I'm like, I'm going to write one too. And um, actually is centered around a woman who is an engineer who works at a corporation and deals with like um, sexism and casual racism, not at all based on my own personal experiences in as a, a woman in engineering. Um, <laughs> Actually, I'm pretty excited because there's like a, a whole there's a whole conversation that starts the whole book that like happened in real life, and I'm really quite excited to see it in print. <laughs> Anyways, yeah, I don't know. I I threw the, I because my one book was on submission. I my agent was like, well, if you want to put another one, we'd have to do something completely different, also because we don't want to go to the same editor. So that was sort of strategic ah. in that sense too, because that first book was with, you know, like YA and fantasy editors. Yeah. This one is now going to different imprints and different publishers because it's completely different. Like usually they don't publish the same thing. So that was sort of strategic in that regard in that like, well, let's see what hits first. Of course, then they both hit like within weeks of each other because right. it rains, it pours, right? Like it's, right. oh, you wait and you wait and you wait and then everything happens all at once. <laughs> That's so funny. <laughs> so yeah, that was kind of that. So that one will have like, three books. I don't know what the second two are yet. <coughs> Apparently that's something they want to talk about, but well, um, the, the publishing is staggered though, because you yeah, so the publishing that. has to be staggered. And here's a lesson I learned is to like, be careful with that. If you decide to be a hybrid author is that they because they all have competition clauses where you're not allowed to publish 
on the outsides of books and it depends on what genre oh. and what, like you have to be and I learned a couple hard lessons this last few weeks but we have almost got everything sorted again but um yeah and even like even the option clause like most traditional publishing contracts will want to see your next get like they get to see your next book in that genre first so if I decided I wanted to start a new series I would have to then go to that publisher and be like here's the book I'm planning to publish do you want to publish it and then I mean I don't have to take they can make an offer you can don't have to take it obviously but right. um, they have but they like, have to they have usually like a window to respond yeah. like they usually have like 30 days to respond yes or no and then you ha you have to wait till that's cleared out right so there if unless you would like them to publish like most people yeah. want their publisher publish their next book but depending on <laughs> the oh, yeah. relationship and what your plans are maybe not right so yeah so there's that that is something i have learned learned a lot about in the last few weeks is um if you're hybrid, you have to be kind of careful about how things are fitting together, like because they they don't like you publishing other books too close to. to so, are you publishing uh, both series under the same name, or uh, I am are you developing um, a pen name? Okay. I I want I thought I would use a pen name for the the rom com, but um, they liked my audience that I had developed for the fantasy romance, and so they were like, "No, we want you to use the same name. Like, we want you to try and." We want you to bring that audience over. So they're all going to be under the same name. We'll see how that goes. <laughs> that's, uh, that's great. I, 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 yeah. I, I never so liked the I... idea of pen names because it seems like a lot of work and to manage like two social media profiles and two newsletter lists and like, or multiple, yeah. like I you know some people have multiple pen names, but like that, like I said, I'm lazy. I don't want to do research and I don't want to have to do multiple. Right. Like, right. Well, I feel like for so long that, it was almost a demand you know we, we can't muddy the waters over here yeah keep them separate and maybe that's a change in the like indie landscape where like and the like people becoming hybrid and like there's sort of that overlap like i don't know maybe if i decide to go a completely different direction we'll come up with a different name but i don't see myself doing anything but romance for a while so yeah um, we had a question come in from from uh, Haley Carter. She said, as an author who is finishing my first book, what resources helped you get into the world of indie publishing? It seems overwhelming to me right now. We talked a little earlier about how you discovered TikTok and and really had a, an audience there that and that resonated with them. And then that drove people to your book. Or, are there any other things that you discovered that help you to um get noticed in this giant sea of books, <laughs> books. that are being published i mean i tend to be a bit of a um, over researcher when it comes to stuff like this like i read everything i could about indie publishing before i did anything um i think like i know a lot of like advice is like just write the book that feels good to you which is like good advice but like, if you honestly want to make money being an author, then you have to think about like where your book fits right. in the market. Like I, you, you, you have to, like, I mean, I, people do have success not writing to market, but like you are just stacking the odds against yourself by not considering where does your book fit? What are your comps? Who are the authors that you're trying to, whose audience are you trying to like attract? Right. Like those, the reason I think like my um, indie series has done so well is because I thought, I really thought about that. Like my tagline is like 
the bachelor meets the hunger games like that is very clear what that means it is right. like 10 women competing for man like but in a hunger games deadly style right and that has really resonated and then the other one too is the the book the selection which was like a huge like ya but i've like my other tagline is basically it's the selection but for grown-ups with like fey and magic right so those two things have like really done a lot of heavy lifting for me by by like being really intentional about like what what that comp is and like what's that easy like people will know instantly what i'm talking about when i say the bachelor meets the hunger games like there's no question what that's about right like it just right. is instantly there um for resources i would definitely say if you're not in the 20 books to 50k group on facebook there's so much good information in there yes. um the people are very generous with their information there i'm going to the conference in november which i'm really excited to go to i'm very curious to see what what that's like um, Jacob and Robert from Dabble are, are going. Oh, are they going to? Oh, good. Yesterday. See them yeah. there. Okay, good. And cool. That's Craig awesome. Martell, who who maintains all of that, has become a good friend, and, oh, and good. he he does amazing, top notch work, and that's definitely a resource everyone should take advantage of. Yeah, I think that I think to me, like that's a really good spot. Like I'd say, Facebook groups are one place I learned a lot of things, and writing writing Twitter. Um, I use writing Twitter a lot, um, not to market my books, but to connect with people. Right. Um, to me, that is, there's just tons of information there. I have met people. I'm in discords with people I've met on Twitter that like where that information um, comes together. I would say like, depending on your subgenre or your genre, try and find like, there for sure is an indie group out there with your genre of like of authors working in that genre who are willing to share their, <laughs> excuse me, share their information. Um, like I'm in a fantasy romance discord with a bunch of other like from everyone from like brand new newbies to people who've been doing it for decades right so and there's like just a wealth of information and who are willing to answer any question you ask so like to me those are the two things you should look for is go to 20 bucks 50k and find a group that is in your genre because they'll have specific advice for and, your and audience a, a mistake a lot of new authors make is marketing their book in the wrong places like for instance writing twitter uh, yes. or 20 books to, to 50k marketing to other authors yeah, like, don't market to other authors they are they're, not your audience yes authors read books but you are talking to them as readers not as authors like there's exactly. just like that drives exactly. me actually insane tiktok that is the mistake so many people make on tiktok they make posts like of like writing issues and, and i'm like i it's i get that like unless you're selling a book about writing to authors like drop it talk about your books that people want to read your books they don't really care if you are like like having tea with like i mean it's fun to do those little bits like sides and i actually think people don't care until they've actually are interested in your books about those things like i'm not going to buy your book because you like the same kind of dog as i right like <laughs> yeah i think too, like that for sure and twitter writing twitter i mean i twitter can do really good i mean you saw that i don't know if you saw that with the this is how we lose a time war that happened there a couple of weeks ago. I mean, it can happen, but like it's that's a flash of lightning strike that was right. So, right. Like, exactly. yeah, finding where your audience is is very important. Like for me, Instagram and TikTok makes sense because that's where the audience is. They like the steamy fantasy romance. Like it also helps that I write in a genre that is very popular right now. Like that, go, but that goes back to like knowing knowing where your book fits in the right. grand scheme right. of things. So Nisha, what does a day in the life of a pro writer look like? Um, right now, where where you are right now, what what are you 
what are you focusing on? And because I, I know when we're talking about publication schedules and, and edits and all of that, there, there are a lot of moving parts to, to getting a book to market. Um, so are. what are you working on right now? And what does a typical day's work look like for you? Okay, the very mo this moment I am trying to get my my rough draft done for the third book in my artifact series, which is my indie series, because that okay. I'm hoping to get out by the end of the year. Um, so I have a goal to get it done by June the sixth, because then I will be expecting copy edits for my other series from my editors. So that will be a week of going over copy edits. That will go back to them. Then I will start um, editing book three of my series, getting it ready for beta readers. Um, in between doing proofing and all that stuff for the other series. <laughs> and then that will take me hopefully to the end of June. And then um, I will have to write book two of the other series. <laughs> so that, that one is mostly written because it was originally one book that got split into two. So I don't have as much work to do on that one. So that one's okay. But um, yeah. And now you just have to make sure that one book has a satisfying ending and not just a that was that I was starting to freak out a little bit because I was like, we cut this book in half, and then like someone read it and they're like, nothing happened, and I was like, oh, God. <laughs> okay, I'm like, so then I like, so I moved the ending a little bit later, and then now now I feel much better about it, but like, oh, I was starting to panic a little bit because like just cutting a book in half is just like not you just can't just cut it in half like you have right. to really think about like okay because now the arc has changed and. Yeah, right. that was that was a bit of a it was a, it was a good learning experience. So that was good. And then a day in my life. Um, I don't know. I I don't set an alarm anymore, which I love like that to me. But I mean, I'm usually up by like six or six thirty. Anyways, I have kids. They're eight and eleven. So I mean, they they have to get up and get them ready for school. No sleep and, with them. Yeah. Well, the eleven year old's turning more into a teenager. I have to drag her out of bed a little bit more. But um, <laughs> getting them off to school. And then yeah, I work throughout the day. Um, my husband works at home too now. Ever since COVID, so. Um, you know, we say hi to each other. We're on opposite ends of the, the main floor of our house. <laughs> and I write for most of the day. I do like, I try to get marketing stuff like social media and all that done in the morning if I'm going to do stuff that day, like just to schedule a few posts and that kind of thing. And then then my kids come home like around 4.30-ish. We have supper and stuff. And then usually I work for another hour or so, a couple hours maybe, and maybe just read before bed. And that's kind of it. Love it. Yeah. Nisha, if if folks are um, fascinated by your story or want to dig into your books, uh, especially, where's the best place for them to connect with you online? I am Nisha GAT writes on everything or NishaJTooley.com is my website. Those are probably the easiest places to find me and all my social stuff is linked there too. All right. We will link it up uh, in the notes to make it easy for folks to find you. Um, Nisha, exciting stuff going on. I can't wait to to see where it all goes and uh, and come back and hang out with us again, please. Yeah, anytime. All right. Thank <laughs> you. Thanks, Hank. That's our episode for today. There's so much more to come as we talk with authors about the craft of writing, but also the business of publishing. Be sure to subscribe to the StoryCraft Cafe podcast in your favorite podcast app to never miss an episode. The StoryCraft Cafe is made possible by Dabble. Writing a book is challenging. Your writing tool shouldn't be. Dabble is an easy-to-use online writing tool packed with helpful features that allow beginning novelists and published authors to create amazing stories. 
Visit us at dabblewriter.com and start your free trial. Thanks for listening.